Do well? Okay. Okay. A couple of weeks till spring break, right? Okay. Almost there. So, uh, still in this series. Uh, if you haven't been here before, we're in the series. I don't, I don't even think we have a name for it, really. Uh, we just asked you to tell us what it is that you might have not heard a sermon on before or something that is troubling you or interests you. Um, so instead of going through a book like we typically will do, uh, we want to spend the semester just maybe dealing with things that were pressing. Uh, and so you guys submitted questions or books of the Bible um, that maybe you hadn't heard sermons on. And tonight we land on dealing with temptation. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Um, so to, to, to deal with this idea, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, we're going to start, I don't know, 118-ish, 118-ish. Uh, we'll get there in a second, though. Uh, so this is one that, this is one that I'm confident every single one of you deals with. Unless you, no, 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 every single one of you. Unless you're just a liar, you still deal with it. You just, you're lying about it. Um... So this one, uh, and so I would say it's especially close to my life, but I would imagine there's places where this is especially close to your life as well. Uh, so uh, a couple years, it was about a, two years after I became a believer, I became a believer 22, it's about 24, I believe that's right. Um, I met Lauren, who is my wife now. Uh, I met her at a campus crusade, um, just a little meeting, um, had my eye on her. She had her eye on me. It was really nice. Um, we very quickly started talking, and I very quick. I mean, I've been a believer for two years, so I was real passionate about this thing. Um, I had come through a ton, uh, uh, been delivered of a ton of stuff. The Lord has just been revealing himself to me. And so I was really, really wanting to be in a place where this girl was not going to get in the way of my relationship with the Lord, right? Um, I did not want to get in the way of what God was doing because my life had been in shambles and he was picking me up and, and changing everything about my life. Um, and so, after like three or four weeks, this is bad, three or four weeks we started getting physical. After we like made it official, right? After we made it official, we're going to date. Um... We started getting physical, and then we started progressively moving down the line with what we were okay with and what we were not okay with. I wanted to draw the line places. She wanted to draw the line other places. Um, we would talk. We, we increasingly got more conservative about where we wanted to draw the line physically, the things that we would do and not do. Uh, and what I found out really quickly is it did not matter where I drew the line. I was going way past the line on consistent occasions, and so was she, to the degree um, that I began to despise her for being a temptation that I could not get over, and yet I did not want to break up with her. Um, I began to despise her in that way. Um, I think she began to despise me a little bit for despising her and making her the object of my failures, and it was just... This thing started growing into this very tense, very frustrating um, deal relationally 
And then it became this very frustrating, very tense ordeal between me and the Lord because I made so many rules and guidelines and tried to do the right thing so many times, but continually found myself failing, just failing, facing temptation and failing. We didn't have sex before we got married, but we got so, so close to it. And I didn't want to be anywhere near that. And so this thing of how to wrestle with this temptation is very real to me because I saw it almost blow our relationship up, which was a big deal to me now, realizing that I have a child with this woman, I'm going to have another child with this woman, realizing that the, the trajectory of my life right now could have been completely altered by failure back then. So it's very real, uh, very heavy. Um, and I feel like during that time, I never really got victory over this thing. Lust, right? I never really got victory over that. Um, and so I would say that's probably a big one for a lot of you. So it's probably a big one for a lot of you. But for some of you, it's not a big one. But it doesn't matter if it's lust. It doesn't matter if it's something with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It doesn't matter if it's porn. It doesn't matter if it's anger. It doesn't matter if it's shopping. It doesn't matter if it's gossip. It doesn't matter what it is. There is something in your life, for the most part, I'm going to say I pretty much am sure, for the most part, there's something in your life that you are consistently facing and some of you are consistently falling as you face that. And so I think this is an appropriate place to talk. How do we handle temptation? What, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and so tonight, really what I want to do is I want to tear down some ideas that I think you have and then I want to rebuild a few ideas um, as we're talking about this. And I think what, what you might have seen, and I think if you've dealt with temptation at all, if you have run up against this thing and you are consistently seeing yourself do something or think things that you don't want to do or think, and you are actually consciously running up against that and growing frustrated about that, I think maybe you might be in line with me, but I think what we have done is we go about that in two ways. We go about dealing with that in two ways. The first way we go about dealing with that is we try to will ourselves out of this pattern. We try to do more things that would stop us from doing those things. Right? So we try to will our way out of it. We try to consistently make the right decisions. We just try really hard or we'll read more books. And I'm not saying that trying hard and reading books is bad, but I think they have their place. Um, we set up boundaries, right? I'm not going to do this. We're not going to go... Obviously, we're not going to go lay down in bed together. Um, and so we set up these boundaries. Boundaries are not bad, but boundaries have their place. And so what I think we've done is we've made try hard, will your way into holiness, the, the, the key mechanism behind holiness. And it's failed. If you've tried that, it's failed. You know it's failed. I know it's failed. It has its place. Boundaries have their place. Reading has its place. Trying has its place. But it is not powerful enough to stop what is taking control of your life. It's not powerful enough. And another way that I think we go, which is something you should do, but I think what we do is we pray, but we pray in a very defeated, passive way. So I do think you should pray about temptation. I think that's, it's in the Lord's Prayer, so obviously it's something you should be doing. 
But I think what we do is we pray in this defeated way. I can't beat this, so please God take it away. And what happens increasingly is he doesn't take it away most of the time from my experience in my own life and from talking to you. He doesn't take it away. So we grow increasingly mad at God that we fail and we fail and we look at him and we say, I know you don't want me to do this and I know you have the power to take this feeling and this temptation away from me. So why the heck don't you do that? And so our relationship with the Lord gets locked up in this thing because it looks like he is not being faithful and helping and doing what he obviously could do and we think he want, like it looks like you would want that. And so locked up in this thing is not just beating sin. Locked up in this thing is how you see the Lord, how the Lord works, maybe anger that you feel towards the Lord for your own failures. This is a real thing. This is real heavy. And I don't believe that temptation should have the power in your life or in my life that they have. I don't believe they should. Um, and so what I, what I really want to get from tonight, what I really want you to see more than anything. There's so much that can go into this, and most of this you cannot do from a stage. It would take a conversation with a person. But what I want to get from tonight is showing you that the Lord, through the work of Jesus, has equipped you with His Spirit so that you might stand against with authority the things coming at you. But you've got to look at that the right way. You've got to interact with the Lord in the right way. And you've got to be diligent to understand your vulnerabilities and then set up boundaries around them. But only as you understand, what I want you to see is that you, in Jesus' name and by His work, have authority over the things that are holding you down. Because I think if you failed enough, what you've slipped into is that there is no beating this thing. And that's really what I want to hit tonight. There's so much that needs to be unpacked in this temptation thing. There's so many specifics that it would take an individual face-to-face for a lot of this. But what I want you to see is you have authority over this thing. You just have to learn to walk in it and exercise it. Okay, so that's where we're going to go. I just want you to know where we're going before we get there. So, Standing against temptation. There's two big categories that I want to understand how we're thinking about standing against temptation. The first step in this thing has nothing to do with the specific sin you're dealing with. So if you run headlong into trying to fight this sin and not dealing with this first thing first, it doesn't matter how hard you try, it doesn't matter what you read, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how many boundaries you set up, you are going to fail when you get there. So the first thing that this rests on and the degree to which you engage in this is going to determine your victory in whatever temptation you're dealing with. Porn, lust, anger, gossip, all the things mentioned. The first thing is your intimacy with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm being specific with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Your intimacy with God and His three persons. Okay, your intimacy is going to govern everything. Let me show you what I mean. If you're familiar with John 15.5, are you familiar with John 15.5? Yeah, yeah, what is it? 
Come on, come on. You know, yeah, you're right there. Come on, come on, come on. Okay. You got it, Jerry? No reading. No reading. What is it, Jerry? Uh-oh. Okay, let's have it then, Tori. Come on now. Oh, that's cheating. <laughs> Mm, come on now, preach, preach. <laughs> I'm the vine. Oh, that's good. All right. We didn't even plan on that. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. And then what does it say? For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you are trying to face whatever it is that you don't like about you or the things that you do or the things that you think, if you are trying to do that apart from abiding in the Lord and resting in the things that He does in your life, you can do nothing. Period. And depending on your willpower, you're going to see that quicker. So... What we've got to understand first is that in fighting this thing, what you are actually fighting, I would say this, what you are actually fighting is not really the sin itself. You are fighting to maintain intimacy with the Lord. You are fighting to abide. Our responsibility in this is abiding. Our responsibility is staying in an intimate place with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can do what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do in your life. So the fight is to stay here, being a branch connected to a vine, receiving from the vine life, so that in that life, this temptation is not nearly as attractive as it looks. That's part of it. But in the vine, I'm receiving all that I need from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And so, your abiding though, so we're going to dig into abiding, because your abiding, just really quickly, has a, a, a lot to do with a lot of things, but I want to really quickly line out some things that might just get in the way. Your abiding and your consistency in abiding has, one, a lot to do with how you view the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you view the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit weirdly, or off, or you're confused about them, what happens that trickles down into every time you go to meet with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So when you sit down to read the text, or spend time with the Lord, or lay things at His feet, and you think that the Father is maybe like your earthly father who didn't really treat you well, treat you well and He's not really a faithful guy, and He's not really going to meet you where you need Him to meet you. If you sit down and try to lay your needs at the feet of that father, you're going to have a lot of problems laying down your needs at the feet of that father because you view your, the, earth, the, the heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father. That is one of a thousand ways that we can take and tweak our view of the father, of the son, or of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it damages the way that we abide. So again, that's why it would take face-to-face to deal with what way do you view the father? What do you view the son? What way do you view the Holy Spirit? In such a way that someone can understand, okay, that's, that's really jacked up. You need to Confess to him that, okay, I do not believe you're like my earthly father. I do believe you're faithful and good and I can lay things at your feet and that you're going to love me, accept me for the work of Jesus and you're going to guide and direct my life, right? But you've got to do that in a really intentional way. It doesn't just happen. And so one thing that damages abiding is just trying to gloss over a ton. One thing that's going to damage as you lean into the Lord to find life in him is what you think of him. So, as you consider that, 
Do you understand that the Father has adopted you into his family freely, that he loves you, that he delights in you because of the work of his son and that he has said that he will guide and direct your future and your life because of the work of Jesus. He has brought you into a relationship like that and the work of Jesus has covered you so deeply and saturated you so much in his blood that everything that you have done wrong or will do wrong was paid for by his death and his resurrection, and that he has completely forgiven you so that the Father sees you not, he sees you as you are, but through the lens of Jesus. And he is now declaring over you a new and different identity than the one that you have operated with. And if the Holy Spirit delights to live in you and guide and direct you and to pour out the Father's love into your heart and to guide you according to the will of the Father and to restore you day by day as you fail by administering the forgiveness of Jesus and then what we're going to see now by empowering you with the authority of Jesus to stand against the things that are coming at you. Right, so if you don't move into the Trinity in that way, if you don't move into the Trinity, I understand who you are and I trust you and I submit to you, you're going to have a really weird way of abiding because you're going to move in. You're going to be like, the father's a jerk. I don't know if I want to do this thing with him, right? So what you view the Trinity as and how you view his operation is going to affect your abiding. So be diligent in dealing with what you believe about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make sure it lines up with Scripture and that you are intentionally dealing with it. Secondly, what gets in the way of abiding? Submission to the Trinity. If you are stuck in the middle of this church thing, just stop. Like, really. I think it's wonderful that you're seeking, you who are seeking the Lord and trying to understand this Christian thing that would come and would listen and say, okay, I understand who that is. I kind of like that God, or I don't like that God. I'm not really down with that, but I want to listen to what you're talking about. There's a completely other thing to call yourself a believer day after day and still decide, I'm going to take my life where I want to take my life. I'm going to operate according to the way that I want to operate. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then when that way leads to ruin, you run over here and do some spiritual practices like reading your Bible and praying and then wonder why that doesn't fill you with the life that everyone talks about filling you with life. And the reason it doesn't fill you with life is because you're still about doing what you want to do. But when you go about doing what you want to do and it doesn't go the way you would like it to go, you run over here to try to find some life here. But there's no life over here unless you've done away with this and submitted yourself to the Lord completely. So you're going to have trouble abiding if you really don't care to abide, if you see what I'm saying. It's not spiritual practices, right? Going to church and singing songs and reading and praying have very little value if your heart is not one that says, Lord, I want to go the way you want me to go. I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done, not my kingdom and not my will. So you're going to have this real issue abiding and then facing the things that are coming at you that you don't like. If you have no desire to submit to the Lord and you only have a desire to use him to get into heaven or to use him to do away with the things in your life that you don't like. So I say fight to abide. And I want to say really clearly, I got to submit every single day. Every day. I got to wake up and say, your kingdom come and your will be done today. Because something happens in the night where I take over my will from him and his kingdom and I wake up and I want my kingdom to come today and I want my will done today. I want my wife to do what I want my wife to do. 
I want to buy the things that I want to buy. I want to talk to the people that I want to talk to. And I have to, on a daily basis, say, no, 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 today, you're God and I'm not God. Your kingdom, not my kingdom. Your will, not my will. So this isn't like submit like it was this one-time thing you did at youth camp where you prayed this prayer and you said, okay, come into my heart. Be on the throne of my heart. That's good if you did that. But do that every other day after that. Because if you don't do it every other day after that, you're going to be about pursuing your own will. And then when it doesn't work out, you're going to run over here. Can I read and pray? Can I read and pray? Why doesn't read and pray work? It doesn't work because you're not submitted to him. So be diligent in fighting your will taking over your life. Because if this depends on abiding, how you abide and how consistently you abide is going to have something to do with how well you stand. How do you view the Trinity and are you submitted to the Trinity? And then lastly, we'll say it this way. We are dependent creatures and we need a lot of things. Okay, we need a lot of things. We need air, we need food. We need a decent steak every now and again. Right? You feel me? Okay. We need things, okay? We were not made independent creatures. We were not made with the ability to sustain ourselves. And we know that. We understand that. But at the deepest level, there are things that we need that are not material. And I usually narrow it down to these three things when I talk to people. We need satisfaction. We need security. And we need significance. And if you've heard me talk about Genesis ever, which I'm sure if you've been here like two weeks, you've heard me talk about it. But what we see humanity living in before they walked away from the Creator is that God is consistently walking through and declaring, you are of value because you are my children. You are made in my image. You have a purpose on this earth. You have significance and purpose and everything is going to be okay. I'm guiding, I'm directing, I'm leading. So what we see intentionally, or, uh, originally, is that the role of the Creator is to provide at this deep level satisfaction to us, significance to us, and security to us. That He is our shepherd and so we might be secure. We are His children and so we have value. Not because of what we do or what we don't do, but because of what has been paid for us. This infinitely high price, which is the blood of Jesus. Which then makes us significant, not because we are good or bad, but simply because the Lord Himself has paid an infinite price for us. And that we are satisfied in Him who is the creator of all good things, the giver of life and pleasure. And that in Him we find these things. What happens, though, outside of abiding is you seek satisfaction from the creation rather than the creator. You seek security from the creation rather than the creator. And you seek significance from the creation rather than the creator. So the places where you're supposed to abide and allow the Father and Son Holy Spirit to do what they were called to do, what they want to do, what happens is you replace that with the creation. If I make good grades, get the right job, get the right uh, benefits with that job, if I save well enough, then I will be secure. None of those are bad things. But what happens really fast is you place security in those things as those are the things that are actually going to save you from a bad life. Really quickly we move into those things replacing what the Lord wants to do in our life. 
really quickly, we're going to move into I feel unsatisfied today. And instead of moving into the Lord and recognizing who he is, I move into something else. Sometimes it's bad things like porn, like getting drunk, like getting a little high. Sometimes it's good things. Like a nice steak a little too often. Whatever that is, if we are replacing the Lord with his creation, we are going to have trouble abiding because we're moving into the Lord for him to provide something to us. Or I mean, we're moving into the creation to provide something to us that the Lord has said he wants to provide. That's the way we interact with him, right? So are you replacing the Trinity? This doesn't mean stop eating steak. It doesn't mean get rid of all the things in your life that you like and that are pleasurable. That's not what that means at all. It means recognize them as a gift from the Creator, but He alone satisfies. And if He takes them away, then glory to His name. He's taken something away, but it's something that He gave to begin with. Nothing replaces Him in my life, whether it's a blessing that He gave me or or whatever it is, but I'm not going to take the creation and replace the Creator's role in that. The creation is good, but not better than the Creator. So in what ways can you see that playing out, right? Okay, so if we're thinking about abiding, those are just big areas that I want you to consider. What is your time abiding like? We spent three weeks ago talking about quiet times and how we use the purpose of quiet times to deal with the things that get in the way of us moving into the Lord and spending the day abiding with Him. So I would really urge you, if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that on the podcast. That's a really good way to think through more Uh, more specifically, what does it look like to enter into abiding? Right? What does it look like to enter into abiding? But I want to show you that if abiding is not the consistent practice of your life, victory over temptation will not be the consistent practice of your life. Okay, here we get to the meat really fast. It's already eight. Okay. Sorry. Let's jump in really fast, and I think we can get through this pretty quick. If abiding is something that you are consistently working on, which I would urge you to do more than anything, what are the things that rob me of my ability to abide? How am I not fighting to abide? If you move in that direction and you're gaining consistency there, which is what I'm hoping and praying for all of you, that you would consistently be abiding and receiving from the Father his will and his love, receiving from the Son his forgiveness and his authority, and receiving from the Spirit all that he has for you. That's what I'm consistently praying for the Lord for you, that you would consistently enter into that place. The one thing that I think most of us don't really have developed in our theology of what it looks like day to day to walk with the Lord is we don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit conveying the authority of the Son over the things that have had authority over us in the past. So if we don't deal with this, if you continue to stay in this place of this temptation is really strong, I don't know if I can deal with it. If you stay in that place, you will not win this battle. So we need to step into what Ephesians 1.18 down to 2.10 is telling us. You're not just stepping, you need to grab hold of it and hang on to it for dear life. You need to hang on to this. Okay, so let's move into it. So let's start, uh, yeah, let's start 1.18. That would be confusing. Let's just jump right into 19. I'll summarize right before 19. He's basically saying, I've heard of your love, Ephesian church. I've heard of your adherence to the gospel and the love that's being produced by your adherence to the gospel. But um, I'm praying for you for a couple things. 
that you would know who God is in a deeper way. And then he's saying there's three things that I want you to really know. As you move into, not, this, as you move into knowing God deeper, there's three things I want you to know. Uh, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to list them really quick. Um, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So then in that, the revelation and the knowledge of him, that you would, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you, know what the hope has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance and state. So he wants you to know, as you get to know him, what's the hope to which God has called you? What is the future hope to which God has called you? What is the glorious inheritance in the saints? I'm not even going to tell you what that means. I'm still wrestling with that a little bit. We'll get there later on. But I want you to see that the next, like, 14 verses all surround this next phrase, 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, and I would argue in us, who believe? What is the greatness of his power towards us or in us who believe? He is going to, from that verse all the way to 2.10, unpack what that power is. This is where we need to grab hold. We've got to grab a hold of this. We've got to do this. If you see the power is towards us or in us who believe, if you consistently believe what you see and not what this is going to say, you will always lose in this battle. So even if you abide and all you do is believe what you see, that I keep failing, I keep failing, I keep failing, which means I will always fail, I will always fail, I will always fail, and I do not have power over this thing, then what I need you to hear right now is stop believing what you see. I don't care how consistently you see it. You need to believe what this says and work your way out of the mire by the power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Father according to the sacrifice of the Son. We need to move into that right now. We've got to move into that. Not understanding yourself according to the way you have seen yourself in the past. You need to move into seeing yourself in the way that the Bible paints you. So here it is. What is the greatness? What is the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Okay, that power is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the power did something in Jesus. So what is the power that's at work in you to defeat the things going on around you? This power has done two things. It has raised Jesus from dead in a grave to life, and then it seated him after he was raised dead in the grave to life. It seated him at the right hand of the Father, and this is what it says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put everything under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church. So what I want you to see is two things come from that. What is the greatness of that power? Well, this same power is the thing that raised Jesus from death to life and then seated him above all other powers. What the heck are those powers? That's where we're going to move in in chapter 2, right? But I need you to see what's happening right here. Two things. Two things. This power raised Jesus from the dead. The power that is available to you in dealing with this raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father far above all rule, power, authority, dominion, above every name that's named. And then it jumps in. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, or by nature children of wrath. So what he's saying is, Jesus is seated far above all these powers. What powers are those? Well, it's the power of the world which is under the prince of the power of the air and your flesh. Can you see it there? In 2.1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What gave the trespasses and sins power? Why do you do the things that you don't want to do? Specifically because you're underneath the power of something else. You're underneath the power of the course of this world that follows the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, demonic stuff, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So you see these three powers at work against you to push you into the things that you don't want to do. And these things are so powerful that you did not have power over them before you were a believer. They literally made you dead in your trespasses and sins. You were following the course of this world under the prince of power of the air, gratifying the desire of the flesh. So the flesh, the world, and the demonic realm are actively at work against you, and you are dead and powerless to do anything about it. Okay, and then what does it say? Verse 4. Actually, I want you to see something. It is a so, uh, Paul is very clearly associating you, dead, with Jesus, dead from the bottom of chapter one, okay? He's associating you who is dead with Jesus who is dead. That power raised Jesus from life and seated him above all powers. What will that power do to you who are dead? Will it do the same thing? Maybe. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, watch what Paul does. It's beautiful. He's linking you with Jesus. Even when you were dead in, your tres in our trespasses, made us alive together, same thing that happened to Jesus, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've got to see what that text is saying. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and then seated him above all other powers is the same power that raised you from being dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of the world and the principality of the air, gratifying the desires of the flesh, and then raised you with him and seated you above those powers in his name. If you don't first and foremost in your battle against whatever it is that's destroying you, realize and cling on to, I don't care what I've seen. I don't care how many times I've failed. The text says I have authority in Jesus' name over these things that seem like they're waging war inside of me and coming at me every single time I walk outside. If I don't understand first, I have authority over these things. And sometimes I use it and sometimes I don't. But I do have authority in Jesus' name over these things. And you move into it. Well, I hope God takes us 
this away today. I hope God takes this away today. And he doesn't take it away. You're just going to turn and be angry at him. When what he said is, I've sent Jesus to die on a cross, to be resurrected, to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you might stand against him and be, be victorious in that. So that you might not be a slave to it anymore. And so by the power of the Spirit and the working of the Son, you would stand against the things that are coming at you and not just sit here and say, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. I say, pray that he would take it away every single morning and then recognize the authority he's given you over it and move into it. Not defeated. Not a slave. Not powerless. Not any of those things regardless of how many times you failed in this area the work of the enemy in this is to say look you failed look you failed look you failed look you failed you're a failure god's done with you he's not going to use you he wants nothing to do with you he only just sort of likes you because of jesus but he doesn't really care that you're in his family or in his kingdom because look at how crappy you are and what we will do is slowly say yeah yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. And what this text is saying, no, 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 that's not right. He delights in you, he loves you, he understands that you have failed and will fail, will fail, and what he wants to do is send his son like he did to cleanse you of all of that, to empower you to stand against it, okay? So the first place, and what I want you to see is the same power that was at work in Christ is at work in you. Grab onto it and don't let it go. You need to be theologically informed of the role of the Son in your life to have authority over the flesh and its power in you, over the demonic realm that wants to come specifically at you, and over the world around you that guides you into gratifying these desires. So maybe we can jump in really fast. Tips. Like I said, there's so much of this that I think requires one-on-one. -on -one. There's so much that gets in the way of abiding, and there's so much that needs to be revealed specifically in your case regarding the places you are vulnerable, the lies about the world you grew up in that tells you to do so many things and to be a certain way. Um, but just tips in this. I wanted to show you there is power in his name over these things. Take hold of that. If you are really struggling, I need you to get a hold of somebody and talk to them and not be quiet about this. But as you move into this and as you're trying to abide in dealing with that stuff that we talked about a couple weeks ago, as you move into that, tip one, deal with your guilt quickly. Deal with your guilt quickly. If you let guilt linger, it only pulls you further from abiding because all it is is accusations that you're drinking up. The truth about you is that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you completely, regardless if you failed 20 minutes ago or 10 months ago or five minutes ago. It doesn't matter. What Jesus is asking you to do on a consistent basis is wake up in the morning, submit yourself to him, confess what you did yesterday, and affirm the blood of Jesus indeed covers it and that you're moving forward as if that is not held against you anymore because it's not. 
He has no desire to sit you in guilt and say, look how bad that feels. Maybe if you drink in how bad it feels, you won't do it again. That is not from the Lord. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could just sort of linger with your guilt for a while. He died on a cross so that it could be taken away from you completely and that you might move into abiding in your Father for His grace and how beautiful He is and what He has done so that you might be motivated to deal with this stuff. To deal with it and be done with it. Tip two, face the temptation internally. I say that in this way. I think a lot of, uh, maybe lust is a really easy one to understand this because I think a lot of us sort of wrestle with this thing. I think most of us, when you feel lust coming on, which you do feel it coming on, right? You feel this attraction for something you shouldn't have an attraction for and you feel it coming on. And I think what we often do internally is we sort of feel it and we just sort of like, this is what's going on inside. We're going... No, 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 You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not looking at it. We're not turning into the, to the feeling. I'm not saying, like, turn into your computer and be like, no. What I'm saying is, internally, you feel this thing creeping up on you, and what you need to do is affirm what Ephesians 1 and 2 is saying and say, no, 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 I have authority in Jesus' name over this. I'm not a slave of this feeling. I don't have to do what this feeling says to do. And so that you recognize it and stand up against it and not just sit there and be like, oh, I hope it goes away, I hope it goes away. It's not going away. It's not. You need to turn into it and recognize the authority of Jesus over it and step into it and be done with it. Take a breath and say no, not because you have willpower, but because of the work of Jesus and the power of His Spirit. Okay? Sometimes you're going to fail at that, so deal with your guilt quickly. Okay? Right? Deal with it quickly. Third of the fourth tip, third one. Don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Don't do dumb things. Like, don't get on the internet at 2 a.m. Where's that going to go? Right? Like, don't turn the lights off and lay in bed and act like y'all are just going to talk. Right? What are you doing? Massages are dangerous most of the time. Okay, so like, don't be dumb. Boundaries are really powerless up front, but when you understand the authority that you have in Jesus' name, and you really understand that, and then you're consistently trying to abide and move into Jesus and recognize, I want you to satisfy me. I want you to bring security. I want to walk with you today. I want to be with you today. I want to put aside the things that get in the way. I want to put aside the things that cling to me. And then when it comes at me, I'm going to know, in Jesus' name, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to think that way. I'm moving forward in this way. And then Give yourself some boundaries, man. Like, set some rules up that keep you from having to face that internal battle all the time. Because the more you face it, the more victorious you're going to be, but also the more times you're going to fail in that a little bit. So just don't be dumb. You know the situations. Don't be dumb. And then the last thing. This is so broad, like I've said a couple times, so broad, so expansive. I think it takes a discipleship. I think it takes one-on-one stuff. I think it takes interaction with people who can hold you to the fire, who can hold you accountable and ask you what's going on in your life, who can also restore you when you feel guilty, who can restore authority when you feel defeated. They can speak that truth into your life. But this is not a pill that makes it all go away. Jesus is not a pill that takes us away. He is a person that I lean into, 
who loves me deeply, who is empowering me to be the man that I was made to be, to be the woman you were made to be. Walk with him through it. Lean into him. Yell at him sometimes. Open up your heart and embrace him and understand that this is a struggle that every human on the planet has been in. There's no quick fixes, but there can be victory. And what I mean by victory is not that it goes away and one day you don't wake up and deal with it. What I mean is that you're not a slave to it. You can fight that battle and not be a slave. And I think a lot of us are slaves right now. It starts by learning to abide and practicing. It doesn't just happen. There's no rubric for it. This is a person. Sort of. He's God. But he's a being that we interact with. He's not a a mechanism that we use to get rid of the things that we don't like and to get the things that we want. Lean in and practice moving into him. Learn to abide. Learn to reject. And let this be the foundation for rejection.